With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. It is always good to hear the iconic voice of Esther Lynn as we welcome you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. The BTL Championship Tournament rolls on this afternoon. We have our first semifinal matchup set between Alex Kaylee and Phoenix Carnivale in two weeks' time. This week, we're going to punch our third ticket to the Final Four. The winner of this week's matchup will face the winner of next week's matchup between James Lynch and Kristen King, a couple of BTL favorites. This week, a lot to get into, so let's get started. First, let us introduce a two-time BTL competitor. She competed on the incredible BTL 50 Gauntlet episode, and she's back looking to surprise some folks as she has drawn one of the BTL all-time greats in the opening round. Let us introduce content producer. She's all over the place these days, wearing a lot of hats in the combat sports space. Alex Wendling joins us this week. How are you, Alex? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be back. It's been a while, but I'm ready to show Jed up and surprise some people. There you go. And now we introduce a man who has spent a lot of time in the BTL virtual arena. He hasn't been in a competition setting in quite some time, but he's taken some time to reset, dust off the old vocal cords. He's motivated to get to the finals. He's taking things to another level, I'm told. Motivated to once again become the people's undisputed champion, Mr. No Gray Area himself. Jed Mishu, how are you, my friend? Oh my God, look at this guy. I feel as good as I look, Mike. Let's be clear about a couple things. I haven't been in a competition since I've been on this show. It's murders all the way down. And uh, I'm I'm sporting a, a lovely outfit today because I've been told my whole life, you dress for the job you want. Well, how you see me every week, I'm wearing a shirt. That's for the job I have, which is as the greatest champion in this show's history. 
the guy who day in, day out defends his belt, puts on content for the fans, spews the takes. But the job I want, I'm coming for you, Phoenix Carnivale. We know the end of this tournament. It's her versus me, and I'm dressed dressed to the nines because that's the job I'm coming to take her out, to end that Undertaker streak and bring the BTL title home where it belongs to MMAfighting.com, the greatest website in the world. Wow. I mean, how, I'm speechless right now. I don't even know how I can host this show right now. So this is just un, what, what an unbelievable arrival. What an entrance to the program. But we got to get into this thing. Suit or not, we got to take this thing very seriously. AK just slacked me and said, WTF is Jed wearing. Uh, <laughs> Dressing like a pro right now. Absolute pro. At first, I thought you said you were so coming from my job. Bring in a little class, AK. Something you don't know anything about. Maybe if you're lucky. Oh, you won't because Phoenix is going to give you the boots next round. So you don't even <laughs> get to be destroyed by me. Oh, man. Well, let's get into this thing. We can talk about Jed's ensemble all day long, his wardrobe, his tailor. But uh, let's start with this hey, past hey. Saturday because, because Max Holloway and Yaya Rodriguez – did the damn thing in the main event of UFC Vegas 42. Super close fight. Holloway comes away with the victory, as Jed Mishu likes to say, and I was kind of in the Jed role. MMA fighting's official stance on the bout was 48-47 for Max Holloway. Really good fight. Alex, we're going to start with you. Your overall take on the fight, what did you think of it? Did anything surprise you? I think Yair's performance surprised us in general after having that two-year layoff. He comes out and he goes the distance with Max Holloway. Not only goes the distance, but it was exciting the whole way through. If we're having the debate on whether it was fight of the year, I know we'll probably get into some other options, but I, I think it is uh, an option for fight of the year. I think um, there are some other contenders up there that I think could show up. Uh, what we saw with that. But in terms of the featherweight division, we have to see what's next. You have Yair who could be matching up with Brian Ortega next and Max Holloway, where does he go from here? I thought we got a lot of those answers knowing that Yair is ready um, to take on some of the best of the best in that division. Anything surprise you, Jed? I mean, Yair, the, the layoff, kind of everything he was happening, the back and forths with the UFC, to go in there, Max Holloway, heavy favorite, almost an eight to one favorite in a lot of people's betting lines. And Yair was a massive underdog. And I thought the fight delivered. Did anything actually surprise you in the fight? Is this what you expected in the in, in the, the the grand scheme of things? Uh, it's not what I expected at all. I was incredibly impressed by Yair Rodriguez. I think we need to kind of separate a different conversation about this being fight of the year versus you know his performance because I don't think this is. You know, it was a really good fight when I hear take that away. I just don't think this is really even a, a realistic contender for fight of the year because I think that the fight was a lot more one-way traffic than people are, are kind of remembering it as. But it was never not competitive, Is the and that is what astonished me. I thought Yair could be competitive for a round. He's, you know, not a bad fighter at all, and he is rangy and has got that length to match up with Max's. Uh, but he was competitive throughout. I scored it four to one. I, officially, obviously, it's 48-47. I would never take away MMAfighting.com's official scorecard. But, you know, I I just thought that Yair would not be able to hang with him for five rounds. And he did. He gave a great accounting of himself. And my, my stock, uh, my opinion of Yair's stock went through the roof after this performance. Because, honestly, coming in, you could look and, and nitpick Yair's 
career. You know, he's he's got the win over Korean Zombie, but that was in a fight he was about to lose before a lucky, let's just call it what it is. I mean, that you can't ever expect to hit that back elbow upshot realistically, but he did. So he gets the credit for that W with maybe the greatest knockout we've ever seen. But at the same time, like he his his best win outside of that is Jeremy Stevens. I, I don't know how much that means in the year 2020 or 2019, I guess, when they fought. So I had a lot of questions, and he answered them all. He looked sensational, and he looked to be delivering on that promise that he had as a prospect, which is not what I expected. So tremendous fight uh, and great performance from both guys. All right, so, so to go back to what you just said, Jed, you're talking about fight of the year and stuff like that because this is a recency bias sport, right? This fight just happened. It was great, fresh in our minds. But then I had a bunch of people hit me up on Instagram, some saying this fight was better than Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, some saying it was good, but it wasn't that good. You seem to be on the ladder. Obviously, one was a three-round fight. You had fans going bananas at MSG. The other five-round main event inside the near empty UFC apex where you had like golf claps going around. Not a bad problem to have Jed when you have two fights like this in back to back weeks, but which one was better? It's, I seem to think, you know what the answer is going to be coming out of your mouth, but which one ages better in your opinion? What's the better fight? The one we saw last week or Gaethje versus Chandler the week before. Oh, well, I don't know which one ages better because Yair is pretty young in his career. So we may look back on this fight in particular and be like, wow, that's too, all-time great featherweights that's tremendous but i think fight for fight's sake like this is pretty obvious to me that it's gaethje chandler is, is the superior fight uh you know like i said i think it was a really good fight it is certainly in the top 10 fights of the year maybe we'll crack the top five when we're all said and done here but for me the big difference is gaethje chandler one i felt a, coming into them i both felt that one guy was clearly going to beat the shit out of the other dude because michael chandler sucks i'll keep saying it i still believe it he sucks. Justin Gaethje's awesome. It might be the best lightweight in the world. Uh, but Chandler gave a great accounting of himself and, you know, really had had Gaethje in trouble. And while Yair gave a great accounting of himself and he hit Max with hard shots, I did not think that Max was ever really in trouble, uh, especially after maybe midway through the second round. Because the only thing that I saw that looked like, ooh, Yair has a path to victory was the leg kicks, but he kind of got away from that as the fight wore on. And at that point, it was just, okay, this is how tough and how good, how competitive can Yair make this fight, not who's going to win. I didn't have any questions about who was going to be the victor after the first five minutes of that bout, realistically. Where with Gaethje Chandler, Chandler fought maybe the dumbest fight he possibly could have, uh, and we were all better for it. We all benefited because it was fantastic to watch him just – gut his way through some of the most savage beatings that a human being can take because that's what Justin Gaethje does. I wrote about this for the site not uh, not long after that fight. Justin Gaethje ends careers. You look at the guys he has fought and how they have fared afterwards, the record is terrible with the exception of Dustin Poirier, who is maybe the toughest human being alive apparently. Nobody has come out of a fight with Justin Gaethje and been better for it. Uh, and, and Michael Chandler – knew that going in it and stood up to it for five or for three rounds, you know, five, three, five minutes. That's that fight was awesome. It was everything that I, I didn't think it was going to be. And I think that's either the best or second best fight of the year, depending how you feel about Volkanovsky Ortega. Alex, what do you think? Which fight did you like better? Gaethje Chandler, Holloway Rodriguez. And where would you put Holloway Rodriguez overall in the fight of the year conversation? Is it even on your list? 
I think it definitely is in the fight of the year conversation, just from a technical standpoint. If you're the type of person that just wants to see a dopamine dump of the first round where people are trying to get heads flying, then yeah, you're going to pick Gaethje uh, and Chandler. But I think they dumped out so much energy. It was only three rounds when after um, Chandler got hit with that uppercut, and I thought it was going to be done there. Uh, Gaethje had him on the ground. He probably could have won for a submission, but he didn't. He chose to keep going. I think if Gaethje were to have gotten the finish after he hit that uppercut and Chandler was dazed, then that should have been fight of the year because it would have it would have put the stamp on everything that we expected. We were expecting fireworks, yes, but literally everyone and their mom was saying that that fight was going to – it wasn't going to go the distance. Someone's getting knocked out. And as soon as every single uh, – commentator and everyone was saying that this isn't going to go the distance in the back of my head I'm like oh every time people are so definite about an ending it never happens because MMA is so weird and they ended up going the full three rounds but it wasn't as if they were going three rounds as hard as they can like in the third round I'm sure they're going as hard as they could but if there was a belt on the line I feel like we wouldn't have been seeing just kind of walking around Michael Chandler throwing random stuff up because he was so exhausted because they had put so much energy in the first round. So when you look at Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez, Rodriguez coming off of a two-year layoff, able to withstand Max Holloway's volume for all five rounds. And in total, they had 389 significant strikes, the third most in UFC history. Significant strikes are super important. You look at Chandler and Gaethje's at just 219. Yeah, they only had three rounds, but I think if you look at the volume and the diversity of Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez, flying knees, kicks, everything, uh, the last little spurt of energy that Yair uh, gave because his coach in the corner said, hey, man, you got to finish this. And you saw that funky stuff he was able to pull out. That's the kind of exciting stuff that you want to see. That's that warrior-like mentality that you get from the Mexican in the fifth round who was completely tired, just won four hard rounds with Max Holloway. Almost, Some people almost thought that it was a 10-8 round in the second round when he was uh, really uh, succumbing to Max's volume and almost got submitted so i thought there were plenty of moments in the max holloway fight where you're like oh shoot uh is is this gonna end here but they kept going they kept fighting through and ultimately it comes down to there was so much hype going into chandler and gagey and for there not to have been a finish i'm not gonna say it under delivered but for them to not be going through the giving it their all through that third round, that's what kind of killed it for me. It was like this dopamine dump in the first round and I'm like so high from that and then nothing to really like tap it off. Whereas throughout all of Holloway and Yair's like, yeah, it might've been a steadier, more long lasting fight, but I think that is what makes it a contender for the fight of the year, especially the fact that there, it was the third most significant strikes in UFC history. And it kind of put the rest of the MSG crowd to sleep for a fight that some people thought was actually the better fight between Shane Burgos and Billy Q later on. But uh, last thing on this before you move on, Alex, Max Holloway has a lot of options right now. He could fight Volkanovski for the third time. Personally, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a best of seven series from those two guys. It's MMA, impossible probably. But if there's two guys I'd like to see a best of seven from, it's those two guys. But Max Holloway, Alex, in my opinion... Look, there's fighters who transcend titles. They don't need titles. They don't need title fights to be stars. Max Holloway, in my eyes, is one of those fighters. 
There's championship options. There's big money fight options, dream fight options at 45 and 55. So if you had the mighty pencil, Alex, or in this case, the dry erase board marker for the matchmaking war room at the UFC PI, how are you matching Max Holloway up next? Are you doing the title fight or do you get something a little more funky in mind? Well, if I'm looking at it from the point of view of UFC and the matchmaker side, I would not want to match up Max Holloway and Conor McGregor. I would want Conor McGregor to come up against a star that maybe he has a better chance against. So like maybe a Nate Diaz or maybe someone that uh, will still bring in that crazy pay-per-view crowd. But um, if I was Max who just got married, of course I'd want to take the Conor McGregor fight. And he's already a legend in the sport. When I uh, interviewed amateur fighters, I asked them every single question, like, who's your who's your favorite fighter that you want to emulate in your career? And there was 20 kids on this card, and half of them said Max Holloway. So he is so important to fighters and fans growing up. Um, they just love how, who he is. So in terms of legacy, no, does Max Holloway have to go to Volkanovski next or everyone's going to forget about him? No, everyone's always going to have Max Holloway in this sort of Hall of Fame uh, sphere. But I think Max Holloway, if it were up to Max, he should definitely go the Conor McGregor route. But um, either way, it's kind of a win-win situation. Volkanovski and Conor are both 33. And if he does try to get Volkanovski, he could try to get that win. And then they would have to, I don't know, fight what out of seven to see who really gets the championship. But right now it's just the feather or the Alex and uh, Max Holloway show in the featherweight division. So if he has to dally in some other divisions, he can do that. But ultimately if it was Max's choice, I would definitely pick the paycheck way with Connor. What are you going with Jed? You are the, the featherweight divisions matchmaker right now how are we doing this like i want to see the title fight i want to see them fight every every month if we could make it happen if we could do holly volkanovsky every month i would watch it every month and be just as interested every time around how are we booking this thing are you doing the title fight the trilogy in a weird sense with hot with volkanovsky being up 2-0 or are we going somewhere else are we getting a little crazy and shooting them up to 55 against for some bangers no, let's let's be clear. I mean, you're you're doing the title fight next because that's the low hanging fruit. You take it. Also, let's be super clear. Conor McGregor is not an option. I know Max is trying to to manifest this as a real thing by saying it a bunch in the media and, and on the mic, but Conor don't want none of those problems, man. Are you kidding me? I don't think Conor McGregor is afraid of anybody, but I think Conor McGregor has at least some level of understanding on risk assessment and he gets nothing by fighting max holloway and he will lose that is not a close contest in my opinion connor what are the things connor's good at winning early what is max the toughest human alive and wins late like he just builds and builds it's a horrible style matchup he should never fight max ever again and he won't and so given that yeah max would love to pursue that but that's not going to happen for him i think the most obvious thing is just the thing we're going to do it's the trilogy with volkanovsky uh on on the one hand i actually don't like it mainly because i don't think max is going to win but for that exact same reason i think that's why you do it one volkanovsky is now calling for it which is really important he is over his idea of wanting to fight other people because max is so clearly the next man up uh, there's enough heat there. There was some controversy in the second match. You run it back. I think Volkanovski is a is a clear favorite going into that. 
he'll probably win that fight because the texture of their first two fights, I think, I think the style matchup just favors him, frankly. Uh, and so once that's done, then we can get Max to where he needs to be because Max belongs at 155. Yes, he is one of, not the, just so we're clear, Joe Rogan and everybody else who says it, one of <laughs> the greatest featherweights of all time. He is still not better than Jose Aldo and all the tremendous things Jose Aldo accomplished, but he is number two on that list. And that's great. He has nothing left to accomplish at 145, but you know what's at lightweight? So many bangers, baby. They've already done the fight with Poirier. Lest we forget the second best fight of that year. The only reason it wasn't fight of the year is because on that same card, Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum put on one of the best fights I've ever seen in my life. He's got a fight with, we just talked about him, Justin Gaethje. Who doesn't want to watch Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje hurt each other? Because I do. Sign me up. 155 is where I want to see Max. So if we got to get him through a featherweight title shot to get him up there, let's do it. And then let's start having fun, baby. (laughs) I was waiting for it. And there's the air horn. Great conversations to have. Not a bad place for the UFC to be in with Max Holloway and even Yair Rodriguez, who kudos to him. Stock rose tremendously in that effort and that performance. Other stocks rose on Saturday as well. Some plummeted. And we'll talk about that in round two. But the first point of this championship opening round matchup goes to. I mean, I got to give it to the John Travolta Pulp Fiction looking Jed Mishu for the ensemble and bidding some absolute fire. Come on, give me give me the whole thing. The You got to do the eyes, the, the triangles oh, on the want, eyes. Yeah, that's the, the one. That's the one. That's- Clip that, right Clip that off. Clip that off, award-winning social media team. <laughs> so we're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. 
Real Traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We're going we're gonna to call this round. We'll title it The Good and the Bad from UFC Vegas 42. Let's start with the good, Jed Mishu. We'll make this nice and simple. Outside of the main events, which we just talked about, which performance, which fight, which fighter stood out to you the most on Saturday that deserves some extra kudos on this Thursday afternoon. Other people fought on Saturday? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the card was awful on paper, but it was one of those ones where uh, actually it was really entertaining, uh, all finishes or damn near something like that. Uh, and a lot of really, a lot of great performances we could talk about. We talk about Sean Woodson or Andre Lee or, you know, Chaos Williams doing his thing. But for me, Easily the biggest winner on the night uh, outside of Max Holloway, who's going to get a title fight. Song Yudong, man, uh, outside of it being um, childishly hilarious, his name, he is an incredible fighter. And Julio Arce is also really damn good. I'm not sure people recognize like how good Julio Arce is because he has a couple losses in the UFC. But it's important to remember that before coming into that fight, he had two split decision losses in competitive bouts against good fighters. Like, this is a dude with a tremendous amount of talent, and Song Yudong dismantled him. Like, he he stunned on him and then got him out of there in the second round with that head kick and follow-up shots. And he's 23! He is 23 years old. The alpha male guys do nothing but sing this kid's praises, and with good reason. Like, he he has all the hallmarks to somebody who is going to be a, a major factor in the Bantamweight division for a decade-plus so that that's it. Like I thought this kid was good and interesting coming in, but I have a lot of respect for Julio Arce and the way he kind of just ran through him makes me really, really high on what this very young kid who's still totally in the development process of his game, what he can look like in three, four years. We're talking about a guy who might have a belt. Like in in, as Casey likes to call it, though I disagree, the best division in the sport. Uh, if Casey was the judge, Jed, you'd be in real good shape right now. Alex, what do you He's think? What, what, other, what other performance stood out to you? Uh, whether it's just a fight or a, a fighter's performance that, that stood out that's just not getting enough shine because of how good the main event was. Um, I also picked Song Yudong coming in just because that division is so deep, not just in the UFC, but also in Bellator, where you could be getting a, a bantamweight Grand Prix as well. So I thought Song Yudong being only 23 years old, training with Uriah Faber has so much potential. And just looking at the matchmaking going into that fight, you had Julio Arce at 17 and five. He's 32 years old, has age and experience, but Song Yudong came in and had his ranking on the line. I think that's a lot of pressure for a 23-year-old coming in. And he's fought on big pay-per-views before where he's had times where he's lost and times where he's won and shown out. So I don't think um, like a big stage, a little stage really affects him. Just he's still building on. And I think everything that he'll be learning from Uriah Faber will be super helpful. But I guess to differ a little bit from what Jed said, picking song, I'll go with uh, Chaos Williams. I think he has a great backstory, able to utilize his, uh, I guess, street fighting background and take that into the cage. He said that he always, um, I guess, 
felt more inclined to boxing, but when he got into more jujitsu and stuff, he's been able to implement it there. So I thought he had a really good show out. And um, those are my two standouts from that, from that card. Yes. And if you ever want to hear chaos Williams compare MMA to chess, make sure you watch his interview from the MA hour. Cause what an excellent example of comparing the two and not just He's a cliche. Like the only person in the history of this sport who has actively like accurately made the comparison to chess. Ah, it's kinetic chess this is the dumbest statement they used to get bandied about, but chaos Williams did a really good job. Yes, also, he broke Sean, it down. Who's eight feet tall. Yes. Sean Woodson is eight feet tall. I interviewed him. Check that out. on we got next very interesting stuff. Now that's the good. We got to head to the bad or the getting worse because Herb Dean has found himself in the hot seat. Once again, AK moving on to the semifinals has now deemed him hesitant Herb. And uh, I like that one. I think that one's going to stick after this past Saturday, but we saw it in the co-main event on Saturday. Marcus Ruggiero de Lima was putting the wood as Jed likes to say to Ben Rothwell. Herb Dean steps in, makes contact with the fighters. And he's like, nah, all good, dude. Keep hitting him if you want. Weird moment, finally stops the fight. And he's been in a few of these over the last couple of years. The Francisco Trinado, Jai Herbert fight that Dan Hardy got involved in. Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Hebas. That one was kind of weird. This one, I mean, and there are others as well. You could write a whole book about this at this point. But Alex, let me start with you. Is Herb Dean as a referee becoming a liability? Are you sort of holding your breath a little anxious when you hear Joe Martinez or Bruce Buffer say your referee in charge, Herb Dean? It's tough because he's been in the in the game for so long. So when you're in the game for so long, you're going to have more errors. But um, it seems like it is getting worse with time. And I think the one that really stands out to me is the Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Hibas one. Um, you just don't want to see people having to get knocked out twice or be, having there be any confusion. If you ever contact or touch the fighter, that's kind of a, a sign that the fight is off. So um, I definitely think at this point it's becoming a little bit of a liability and kind of a running joke on MMA Twitter, someone made a wonderful thread of all the moments that he's had uh, kind of screwing, screwing it up. So I think, I mean, maybe he just has to really make it a point when he is making a decision. And if it's instinctual, he just has to go for it. But, you know, I can't, I've never done refing before, um, especially in those situations where you're seeing it from a different angle than where we're seeing it. So I don't think it's, a liability. I don't think he's done anything to the point where we have to be like, oh, I, and there's also a difference between him making an honest mistake and him being like, oh, I wanted to, him to show show his full power. Like, it's not as if he's doing it with any weird intentions of wanting them to show out more. So I don't think I don't think it's too much of a liability. I think that he shouldn't be getting any you know, of the main events, I think uh, Jason Herzog does a really good job and that there are other refs who might be a little bit quicker and might act on their instincts quicker. That could be taking more of the refing gigs, but definitely a slight liability. If he has too many more of these moments, it could be uh, out for Herb Dean. Yeah. Listen, refereeing sucks like who wants to be our mma referee who wants to be an mma judge those are two thankless jobs once in a while the referee gets praised for a good stoppage but a judge never gets overly praised for a good scorecard we don't stand up and applaud adelaide bird when she actually gets one right i mean maybe we do on twitter just joking around being sarcastic about it but 
Jed, we, we've had conversations. Jason Herzog has made mistakes. He's still one of the very best in the business. John McCarthy, when he was in his heyday, he made mistakes. Herb Dean's making a lot of mistakes. Chris Tyone last year was the scariest referee in the sport. I mean, it seemed like every time this guy was in there week to week, he was making some sort of blunder. This year, I feel like he's probably the most improved referee. But man, you could sit there and take nut shots, cage grabs, and he'll give you a warning, a final warning, a final, final warning, and then an absolute final warning before he decides to take a point. So that's Chris Tyone. Now, Herb Dean, <laughs> with the Herb Dean is do you feel like ever are we overreacting with the Herb Dean thing because he is Herb Dean he was the the quote unquote gold standard for for a while a react are we reacting correctly or are we not reacting harshly enough here Jed I think we're reacting correctly first I would like to react to Alexander K Lee's horrible Colby Covington esque hesitant Herb that is some garbo like I don't know what you do <laughs> double clutch Dean is better than hesitant Herb that's just trash. Let's get that garbage out of here. Uh, but more importantly, no, we're not overreacting because uh, Herb has been bad, like just straight up. And I, this is of the questions you sent us. This is the one I spent the most time pondering, honestly, because I just sort of got down a rabbit hole that was kind of interesting to me. And tell me if I'm wrong. I'd really just kind of like to workshop this idea with you guys. Alex, feel free to hop in. Here's my my take on this, right? I am the kind of person who I need to be able to advance and improve in, in my job or else I'm just not going to be interested anymore. Like, you know, I not necessarily climb the corporate ladder, but I want to develop new skills. I want to get better. You know, I would like to go up as far as I can. Herb has nowhere to go. He is he maxed out being a ref 10 years, uh, probably longer than 10 years ago. And there's, there is no upward mobility. He was, like you said, the gold standard, especially after John McCarthy left. I would argue he was better than John McCarthy at the end of McCarthy's tenure. But I just don't know what gets you up every morning. We talk about it with champions all the time. Like, it's, it's difficult to defend a belt because what is your motivation? You know, you when you're in those silk sheets, it's a lot harder to get out of bed to go train. And that's kind of where her deed is to me. Like, he has been the guy for so long. He just gets up and goes to work. And when I'm in that position, my work drops off dramatically. <laughs> like just straight up. Like I'm just not nearly as good at my job if I'm not working towards something, if I don't have goals I can achieve. And I know that that's not the same for everybody, but I could totally believe, and I, I kind of think that that's the case here. You've been doing a job for 15, 20 years, and, and you're the best or considered among the best, but there is no upward mobility. How, how, do, you, how do you keep that edge? And I don't know the answer. Um, and so, yeah, honestly, maybe Herb is thinking the same thing and maybe he wants to follow John McCarthy into the booth or, or transition out in another way. But for me, I think legitimately double clutching on people, you know, touching them, not touching them. That's a problem. And you, you got to get over that. I don't know how he does it, especially if really the root cause is that he's just kind of, he's lost his edge. Is this like the MMA refereeing equivalent of the yips, Jed? Is, does, he, does he just have the yips? Like, how do we fix this? Just pretend, Only, look in the mirror, and pretend you're stopping a fight? Like, how do we how do we fix this? I don't think it's the yips, because to me, the yips are like a confidence thing. I, I doubt Herb Dean has a lack of confidence. He's refed thousands of fights before. I, I just, I I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe that's why he's double clutching. I and I damn sure don't know how to get rid of the yips. If I did, I wouldn't be on here. I'd be making millions of dollars as a sports psychologist. 
So maybe that's it. Maybe Herb just needs to go to a sports psychologist. Let's line him up with somebody. The UFC has vast resources. Let's button this up because he can't be touching fighters and not stopping the fight. That's got to go. What do you think, uh, A-Dub? Is that cool or terrible? A-Dub? I don't know why I just said that. I don't. I honestly have no idea why I said that. So you're probably going to get a point for that awful nickname. But uh, what, what, what do we do here? How, how do we fix the Herb Dean uh, Yipperinos here? I think there comes a time where, you know, he might have to start considering different routes and I don't I'm not gonna say like retiring from refing is one thing that he should consider but if if it's putting fighters at risk then that's something that we need to consider or should he be taking some uh meditation classes where he's in the moment and he's able to make the most um the best decisions for these fighters maybe looking back at some of his fights like what is he doing outside of this is he watching back these fights for next time he's not going to do this for <clears throat> for uh this situation how is he going to handle it i think there's been so many kind of uh moments like this with uh Dawkus and kevin holland where they had to literally go back and ask her for his opinion so obviously his opinion is respected in the industry it i think he has a role sitting back and being able to give advice for maybe some of the other referees. And if there ever comes a time where he needs to have his opinion involved, then uh, then he can he can be involved. But I think in the moment and having to react to uh, things happening in the cage super fast, uh, if that's not something that we can see improvement in these next fights that he refs, I think it's time to call it quits for Herb Dean. I like it. Mark, like Mark Ratner's assistant sitting cage side, you know, maybe we could just put him, maybe we could put him in the booth, like not as a full on commentator, but if there's a call that's questionable, we can go to Herb Dean in the booth and he can explain why a call was made or how he would have done it. Like, there you go. I, I think yeah. we just saved Herb Dean and, and, and made him much more interesting in, in today's MMA world. But the UFC and Herb Dean was not the only game in town this past weekend. Bellator was back as well in scenic Hollywood, Florida. We will touch on that next. But the point for round two goes to. Alex Wendling, it is one to one. We're it's about one to, to one. Get there, Jed. I don't know if you watch Morning that's, Combat. That's, so that's, that's how that's I know you're not on the show lock because you pointed the wrong way first. <laughs> I, I yeah. learned which direction to point. It takes, it takes many episodes. I, I, I still don't think I figured that part out yet, but... Uh, yeah. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about Bellator 271. It took place on Friday. BKFC 22 was also going on, like right down the street. A lot of weirdness from that car, but that's another topic for another day. But Bellator debuts in South Florida. Chris Cyborg goes out and destroys Sinead Cavanaugh in the main event to retain her featherweight title. No one really surprised by that. No disrespect towards Cavanaugh, but Cyborg was like a minus like 5,000 favorite by the time the fight started. Alex, let's start with you. We have a dominant champion. In, in Bellator, in this division. Yes, we have one with Valentina Shevchenko. We have one with Amanda Nunes. Jed Mishu in his own mind on BTL. <laughs> but while we while we expect Shevchenko and Nunes to win every time that they fight, there's at least like some kind of narrative you can like slap on it. Like if this happens, this could get interesting. If this goes to the fourth round, maybe this could happen. If this gets taken to the ground, maybe this can happen. With Chris Cyborg, we're not really having these discussions. It's how and when this fight ends for Chris Cyborg. So... 
What do we do with Chris Cyborg now to make things more interesting? Chris Cyborg versus blank. Book it, Alex. How do we do this? I mean, it's hard to answer this question when we still have Kayla Harrison as a free agent because Chris has just been able to kind of clear out the uh, her division in Bellator. And you, the only interesting matchups are if you get a rematch with Cyborg, which, you know, that goes back so far of Dana White saying that, oh, well, she didn't want the matchup and she didn't want this or that because Cyborg's already done so much for women's MMA. You know, it's not as if she has to go out there and fight the best of the best but if she does want to have that stamping on her on her resume and the legacy i think she needs to go out with some of these more uh power cross promotional fights in terms of uh with bellator there's not too many options i think um there's not too many options that she can go to at this point so i think she just has to wait and see what Kayla Harrison decides. And I think the chances are pretty high considering Dana White has said that he's not even super interested in keeping the featherweight division if it weren't for the double champ, Amanda Nunes. Jed, what do you think? I think this Kayla thing is going to take a little while perhaps. Um, and we'll dive a little more in depth into that part of the conversation in a moment. But I mean, I, like to me, I was like Pam Sorensen like needs to win because at least you have somebody to throw in there. Sure. You got cats and Gano, but I would like to see cat like fully confident, like run off like three or four wins before she steps in there and make this fight as interesting as possible. That's just the way I look at it. And at least if Pam wins, you could either do Pam versus cat number one contender fight, or you just throw Pam in there to, to fight Chris and let cat and Zingano just kind of build her confidence. So is it cat? Like, do we just run, go right to this? Well, right now, cause they've set it up on Twitter. How do we do this? First, I would like to address the thing you said that was objectively false. Nobody's creating narratives about the possibility of defeating Valentina Shevchenko. You've talked to me enough to know this. Like, I don't, there's no narrative. It, it is a matter of what manner in which she wins. So let's just check that. And we're not doing it for Amanda Nunes either. Unless those two women fight, they're both winning. That's just how that goes. And Chris Cyborg is right there. If she's not fighting either Nunes or Shevchenko, or at this point, maybe Kayla Harrison. And there's no narrative, but that's fine. It is okay to have a dominant champion. It is okay for you to go out and put on a show. All respect in the world to Sinead Kavanaugh because she did her job. Because her job is not to go beat Chris Cyborg. Sure, on paper, that would be the best for her. And that is ostensibly her job. But her job is to go not be boring. And she damn sure wasn't. She threw down for that whole 90 seconds that that fight lasted. And she landed some good shots on Cyborg. Cyborg just has a very good chin. And Sinead could not take the return fire. But that fight is exactly what you want in this kind of scenario. She is a spectacle. Let's enjoy the spectacle. And if that spectacle means she's getting Kat Zingano next, hell yeah, let's do it. Zingano is a name. She has been in, in a UFC title fight. People know her. She is a physical presence that you know, can at least maybe be interesting in the fact that she is not anywhere near technically up to Cyborg's level, but she is not going to be completely outclassed in a physicality standpoint. So that is something because at some point in time, Cyborg will theoretically drop off. She's 36 years old and time comes for us all. But until then, I'm happy to go watch her just clobber the hell out of people because it's awesome. And that's what we should want in the sport is watching the best, you know, some of the best in the world do their thing against the best contenders that you can find. And 
yes, a Kayla Harrison fight would be spectacular. I, I if that happens, if that can happen, if if Scott Coker could back up the money truck and snake Kayla for one day just to make that fight, hell yeah, let's go for it. But if it doesn't, I'm still going to tune in to watch Cyborg, assuming I can find the channel because God knows where Bellator <laughs> is. It's impossible to watch. They don't want you to be a fan of their product. I don't understand it, but so it goes. So, yeah, Katsugano is fine. Let's run that. All right, so so to sort of build upon that, Jed, Kayla Harrison was in attendance. She was there, cage side essentially. And let me just let me just say this because we spent some time kind of dumping on Bellator's broadcast last week. I'll give John McCarthy a little bit of credit. Him bringing up Kayla's name to Chris Cyborg in the post fight interview was was very well done. There's a lot you could pick apart in regards to these broadcasts, but that was very smart. That was well done. You put the camera on Kayla. You made it a big deal. So credit where it's due. Kayla was there. Scott Coker, I know for a fact, and this is well before the card last Friday, he looks at Kayla Harrison as a big-time star. If Scott Coker could draft one fighter over right now, I don't know if Kayla would be the number one, but she'd be in the top three. That's how highly regarded Scott Coker thinks of Kayla Harrison. So, Jed, Kayla Harrison is in a tremendous place in her career. She could stay in the PFL for the rest of her life and make millions upon millions of dollars. She could take the PFL could take our advice from BTL Roundtable a few weeks back, make this into a money promotion, make Kayla Harrison as interesting as possible. She lived the dream as good as she can do in this sport right now, making that millions. But Bellator does seem like a very interesting option. And if I'm Scott Coker, like you said, Jed, there is no limit. There is no number out of reach. There is no millions of dollars, no price I will not pay. If you can somehow make this happen, you have to make it happen if you are Bellator. Jed, what are the chances this happens? Like if you had to make a like a little bit of a wager on how confident you are, would you bet 50 free dollars that Kayla Harrison fights for Bellator or that we never see it? Where would you put that money? Uh, I would bet that she does not this upcoming year. I think she's going to stay with the PFL one more year um, because they, I mean, they got Julia Budd now. They're, that's a fight. Um, it's free money. Like who turns down a free million dollars? That's that's tough. Tough to turn that down. And the Cyborg fight doesn't go away. I mean, Cyborg isn't losing. There's nobody in Bellator who's going to beat Cyborg. She's still going to be there next, you know, at the end of next year. And then this can be built even more. I think the optimal way to go forward, because I agree, it's the fight to make if it can happen, and you just kind of do it. But at the same time, there's a vast difference between fights that we, as the hardcore people who are doing a, a podcast, talk about, and the general public getting behind something. We all salivated over Pitbull McKee. Like that was that was our everything. That was the best fight in Bellator's history on paper. The most captivating matchup they could ever put together. And nobody watched it because they're on a dog shit platform. And that's just a problem. Like there's they can't get views organically. And even with a star of Kayla Harrison's kind of caliber and a star of Cyborg's caliber, I just don't know that that's going to do the traffic and the numbers that would really justify itself. I think well, if I'm in control, if I'm Scott Coker, I would talk to Kayla Harrison and be like, look, if you want to go back to PFL, great. Do that for a year. Just only sign a three-fight deal for this season with them or whatever have you. Afterwards, we're going to pay you all the money that we have, all of it. I'll go empty out my couch cushions to get whatever I need. And then we're going to do it because we're going to spend the next year figuring out how to make our product 
interesting to the casual fan. We're going to get on a better platform than Showtime who nobody gives a shit about. We're going to find our way onto ESPN or or network television some way so people can watch you take on Chris Cyborg because that is the, that's where we want to plant our flag. That's how we want to announce ourselves as a real product to everybody, not just to the people who go to MMAfighting.com. That's what I think should happen. That's what I would do if I was in control of this. But, I mean, we'll see. Maybe they'll just try and strike now because one in the hand is better than ten in the bush. Alex, what do you think? True or false? In 2022, Kayla Harrison fights Chris Cyborg. I think there is a 70 to 30% chance. I think a 70% chance that she does uh, end up fighting uh, the fight between Kayla Harrison and Cyborg, mainly because Kayla has talked about becoming a mom and how she has to consider money and getting that million dollars in PFL is an easy route, but she's also an Olympian, the best judoka male or female. So she's the type of athlete who wants to be making these Uh, notions that she is the best of the best. And how do you do that? Is that just competing at PFL where there's not really any competition that will put your name up like that? Um, I think it's the perfect time for Kayla Harrison to make the jump. She's already done two seasons at PFL. She's shown what she can do there. And I think I disagree that uh, Showtime is a platform that people aren't going to be interested in doing, especially with the way that boxing is going right now. You have so much with Canelo going on and all these uh, rising prospects, Terrence uh, Crawford and Sean Porter this weekend. So with the with the uh, boxing coming back to life a little bit more and, you know, even with Jake Paul, there's more people that are interested in getting Showtime. And when you get Showtime, you get the boxing and Bellator. And so with me, this has been my biggest intro year into everything going on with Bellator. I think the production is so good there. So there's a lot of um, carrots to dangle in front of Kayla. I don't know what the uh, money situation is with Bellator and how they'll balance out the books. But at the end of the day, Scott Coker wants to be putting on fights where people can arguably say we had the best featherweight or best bantamweight in the world fight on our stage on our platform showtime the premier platform and i think that if she wants to make that jump it would be the perfect time to do so and her tenacity and will to become the best of the best i think will push her to make that decision to making the jump to bellator because she's definitely not going to be belittled by dana white who sits there and says oh well she she can do what she wants we don't we don't need her he barely has any interest in keeping the featherweight division so it's just like i'm an olympian judoka and you want to kind of just push me aside like that plus the big fight to make there would be amanda nunez which is her teammate at american top team i think the best option is to go the bellator route it'll they can also take in megan anderson we can get her some on-camera roles. Janae Harding is another great uh, fighter in Bellator. So there's a lot to build in in the at Bellator with the women female featherweights. So I think that's her best route, and I think there's a pretty high chance that it happens. We just have to see if the finances can come to fruition. What do you think about that, Jed? You know, maybe Alex is Alex is saying that. In listen, I understand in, in a way, but. Strikeforce, Elite XC, some of these other MMA promotions found success on Showtime. Boxing is finding success on Showtime right now. 
for some reason, Bellator, you don't think that they're finding it. And sometimes oh. you look at the numbers and streaming, you, you can't justify streaming numbers yet. You really can't. Uh, but do you think this is more of a Showtime problem or a Bellator problem? I mean, I, it's definitely more a Bellator problem than it is a Showtime problem. I My only rebuttal is just like, sure, boxing is back and Canelo Alvarez is going to draw numbers anywhere he freaking goes. How'd Pitbull McKee do? How, how'd that how'd that do it it didn't do great it it wasn't wasn't spectacular from a number standpoint like if if you're making a career decision by any metric outside of strictly sporting aspect i want to challenge myself against better fighters you just go back to the pfl at least for one more year espn is a much wider platform to get noticed the way you become star like a star is exactly what kayla harrison has done her whole career you beat the hell out of people emphatically and you get on the mic and you say some stuff that gets people going and she's real quick real quick real quick they might not be on espn this year their tv deals up we don't know yet they haven't made a decision yet I mean, if if they have an option, they're going to be back because that's just a better place to be. Unless somebody wants to roll out the money truck for maybe the second best promotion in MMA, probably number three. Like I, they should stay there, and if they stay there, it's the best choice to be in front of the widest number of people. Build your brand. Get a free million. It's easy work. That That's just kind of where I think she should go and continue to develop her own star power. Because the cyborg fight's always there. It's always going to be there. That's a back pocket fight. You can stamp on that whenever it need be. Yeah. I mean, to just rebuttal the rebuttal, the numbers may not have been super, super high, but Scott Coger, Steven Espinosa understand that they're in these like building block stages. So no matter what, the uh, Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix, you could have arguably said that there were the best featherweights there fighting. And so when you even have that conversation, people want to see cross promotional fights. Like how would Max Holloway do against AJ McKee? How, how would, uh, Brian Ortega and their increases conversation and will in the long term get people to come to Bellator because they're at least having the conversations of the best of the best. So yeah, the numbers might not have been there in that particular situation but i think it's a growing process and i think i think there was a lot of hype between uh at bellator 263 the crowd was absolutely insane um streaming numbers it's always hard to tell because people can get different illegal streams or whatever but in terms of people knowing of the people in bellator i definitely saw an increase and and able to talk to all all people on mma twitter they tuned in for that one versus what what was whatever was going on in UFC that weekend? It was the the Bellator show for that weekend, and I think if you did take Kayla Harrison and Cyborg, it would have the same effect. Completely putting the featherweight division in the UFC uh, in the shadows, which it already is. Well, last thing on this: um, great win on great win for Lynn Vassell, great win for Aaron Pico, great win for Arlene Blanco, Steve Barry, and others. But I do want to. Mentioned Roman Feraldo, flying knee finish over Robert Turnquist. Just a nasty knockout. In my opinion, one of the best knockouts of the year. Alex, what say you? When, when you're doing your year-end awards for whatever you're doing it for, whatever show, all the podcasts you're a part of, will this knockout be on your list? And if so, how high up will you have it? So when I was looking into this, I was taking into consideration the topology rankings, and they list out all 50 of their knockouts for 2021 so far. And I ranked it as 
around 39 being generous. It definitely breaks the top 50, but when you looked at who Roman Feraldo did it against, it was against Rob Turnquest, who's 38 years old. He has an 11 and eight record. Uh, yeah, it was a super cool knockout, but what set it up was the initial punch, which kind of dazed Turnquest, and then he landed the, the flying knee. So I thought that kind of took away from how cool the flying knee was. And I think um, I think when you look at a fighter like Alex Pereira, who did that on his UFC debut against a fighter of a bit of a higher caliber, that's what makes it, that's what would make Alex Pereira's a bit higher. So I think this kind of is similar to when you think of uh, Joaquin Buckley uh, knocking out Impa Kasanganai, the implications of that knockout weren't very high. So if you're ranking it only on the technical like the the hardness of landing a knockout like that, I think that it's an impressive flying knee. But when you look at what he who he did it against, it makes it less impressive. It's not as if there was a belt on the line. It's not as if this was like a huge uh, fight where the implications are bigger. So um, I ranked it as like thirty nine out of fifty, but definitely still on the list of great knockouts of twenty twenty one. Damn. Wow. A harsh grader, Alex Wendling. And this is in a recency bias sport, 39th. Jed, I, I'm, I'm curious. Are, are you, could you be lower than that? Are you rating it lower than that? Or is this, is this up there? Is this higher up in your conversation? I mean, I haven't done a, a forensic detail on where this ranks <laughs> in the top 50. Uh, so good for you that you have 39 of them. That is stunning work. <laughs> A-dubs, really good work, A-dubs. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I actually echo a ton of what she said. Um, every, every week on MMAfighting.com, greatest website in the world, I author a column with AK Lee, uh, a terrible charlatan of a writer where we cover the best highlights from the regional circuit of MMA. And you read that thing. It's called Misfits. You should read it every Friday. It's fantastic. And on a weekly basis, somebody does something dope as hell. And, you know, it's a flying knee, it's a spinning cartwheel kick or something else. And those knockouts never make it into the top five, top 10 for best of the year, because it doesn't matter. The stakes matter. It matters who you are knocking out. Uh, the aesthetics matter. And on, all, on a lot of those categories, uh, tremendous, tremendous knockout is one of the be most beautiful ones you'll see from a pure aesthetic standpoint. But it's, it's over a guy who doesn't have a Wikipedia page and it doesn't launch anybody anywhere. If you want to argue that that's you know, a top five knockout, I'm, I'm content with it. It's entirely subjective. But for me, I want it to be both aesthetically pleasing, incredibly violent, and matter. You know, it, it needs to have kind of all of those three going in. And for me, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't have one of those factors in a really substantial way. I think, you know, I, I haven't, gotten down to the nitty-gritty of it as we come to our year-end rewards. I think I'm probably still on Usman Masvidal because Masvidal doesn't get knocked out. He doesn't get knocked out like that. And that is, you know, that more than anything is the punch that made people think Kamaru Usman is better than George St. Pierre, which is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But still, like, that mattered in a lot of ways, so I think that's still my number one. But, hell, I'm not willing to say that Chris Barnett and his, you know, mental 170-pounder throwing a spinning hook kick and getting a KO at heavyweight, I'm not willing to say that's not the best knockout of the year because I've never seen that before. That, like 
like Ipa Kasagne getting obliterated by the ninja kick. I've never seen that in my life. And if you do something I have never seen at all, then we can start having the conversation how much it matters that, you know, maybe it wasn't a, a win that is is huge for you or your career. Just, damn, that's dope. And so maybe Chris Barnett's going to snake in there because that was incredibly awesome what he did. It was indeed. We got one more Bellator event coming up in December. Bellator 272. Sergio Pettis versus Kyoji Horiguchi for the Bantamweight title. The dog is excited about that fight. I am excited about that fight. Hopefully Bellator can send a jolt into their product and presentation. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest part because it really needs a jolt. I, I will say, I I'm thought Amanda Guerra did a great job on the desk. I thought she brought a nice energy yes. to the table. I thought she did great. So I hope she sticks around. And uh, that was a nice little addition. I think they, there's some facelifts that need to happen in a lot of other roles, but that's a conversation for another time. We move to round four. Point for this round goes to... Jed, the suit is just making you money right now. Two to one. Two to one. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. As we head to the final round of regulation this Saturday, the UFC is back again. Then they take a little breather for Thanksgiving. We've got Misha Tate versus Ketlin Vieta in the main event. Tate's second fight since the return. She, of course, finished the now-retired Marion Renault back in July in her first fight in almost five years. Now she gets Caitlin Vieira, headline spot, Jed Mishu. What is at stake here for these ladies? Is a title shot on the line? Is there a certain step the winner takes? It sure seems like all the pressure's on Misha Tate here while Vieira is playing with some house money. Do you agree with that? So, look, Mike, when you, when you sent me these questions yesterday, when you sent us the questions... I, I want to tell you just how focused I am to get my way back, back to the top, back to take on that charlatan of a champion that we nominally have. I wrote about it, this very topic this morning specifically because I was like, I, this is the thing I feel the least confident talking about. Let's dive in. Let's do a deep dive. Let's write about it for MMAfighting.com, greatest website in the world. Go read my words there. And here's what's at stake. It's a title shot. Misha Tate is going to get a title shot because I'm going to blow your mind. I don't know if anybody has read my article and all of its genius. I don't know if you just happen to know this, but I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock and appall you. Of all of the women in the UFC's rankings, the top 15, of all of the women in the top 10 of their rankings, 
excluding the champion Amanda Nunes, one, one fighter has more than one win in a row. Only one fighter in the top 10 is currently back-to-back wins. And that is Raquel Pennington, who's like 9 or 10 in their rankings. It is a a death morass of tragedy at 135 right now. (laughs) The division is not having people fight almost ever. When they're supposed to fight, they miss weight like Aspen Ladd, and then they got to go up. It's just a whole big problem. And so if Misha Tate comes in and she wins – she will officially be on this on a tie for the longest winning streak amongst top 10 ranked fighters in the division. She is a huge name, former champion, arguably the biggest name in the division, even over Amanda Nunes. As far as broader appeal, people who know her, they know who Misha Tate is. And that alone, a win alone, may just get her a title fight against, uh, we're all, I'm assuming everybody believes that Nunes is going to beat Juliana Pena next month uh, because she will. And so they, that's a, a marketable story. And that's what Tate said. Tate said yesterday, um, you know, hey, I, I think a dominant performance gets me in the title shot. I don't even think a dominant performance. I think just a good, solid win, a non-controversial W, five rounds. I think she gets a title fight. So, yeah, for Kaitlyn Vieira, she's not getting a title fight with the win. She's coming, coming off a little tough streak here. But this is, like I said, maybe the biggest fighter in the division you can't ask for a better, more marquee win to put on your resume to stake a claim for a number one contender's belt because 135 is wide open. Two wins will get you in there with Nunes. So anything can happen. But if Tate wins, she's getting a title fight. And if Vieira wins, I think she's getting a number one contender match. What do you think, Alex? Do you agree with that? What's it, What's at stake here on Saturday? I agree that Misha Tate is just such an emblem of women's MMA and the UFC. So I think if she does win, it'll de- there'll definitely be talks of her getting the title shot. And it'll be interesting because she coached Juliana Pena on the ultimate fighter. So, but to see her fight Amanda Nunes uh, so quickly, if assuming Amanda beats Juliana coming up, I wouldn't be mad if she did have another fight to kind of keep, Keep keep uh, climbing up slowly to before you get to Amanda Nunes. I think we're going to have a lot of questions answered when Juliana and Amanda fight. And I think, like Jed said, this this division it's not super active. So I I don't think it would hurt if we had some filler fights. We have Holly Holm; she could potentially get a different fight. I think if Misha wins, it would be fun to see Jermaine and Misha win. Let's see if Misha get another win and then give her to feed her to the dragon. I think rushing it is um, a little risky. I mean, she she is the second person with the longest gap between UFC fights. The only person ahead of her is Nick Diaz, for who is out for over 2,427 days. Misha Tate, 1,700 days. So I think... I think she has shown so much uh, progress. She has less than 13% body fat. She talks about that mind-body connection after having two kids. And I think she's doing everything she needs to do. And she has that championship mentality. The Misha Tate 2.0 is next level. But at the same time, it's Amanda Nunes. She has power that is just one power knockout. Um, and it's it's risky. I think that it wouldn't hurt to get another fight under under her belt before uh, seeing the champ, assuming she does beat Juliana Pena. 
Now, like last week, this is a sneaky good card on paper. There's some interesting matchups. There's some interesting storylines here, Alex. So what's the low-key banger on this card, Alex Wenling? Low-key fight, low-key storyline fighter. What what do you have circled on this card that not a lot of people are talking about but has got you excited? So the fight that got me excited, and I actually did the research for this correctly because last time when I looked up or when I thought of sleeper fights, I was like, oh, someone's going to sleep. And then I was like, oh, Edson Barbosa, like someone's going to sleep in that fight. And AK Lee was like, <laughs> no, you moron. That's not a sleeper fight. And I was like, <laughs> cried myself to sleep. But anyway, I think the sleeper fight, he wasn't on the presser coming in. So I think uh, Terrence McKinney, who just had that first round knockout in his debut, I think that's a sleeper fight against the 24-year-old Farez. Um, I think that one's super interesting because Perez has never been knocked out before. And you have uh, Terrence McKinney, who is on Dana White Contender Series, got knocked out by Flying Knee. He battled through adversity and he came back, got the contract with the UFC. And now he's looking to make his name, be in the be in the category of the Justin Gaethje's and the Michael Chandler's all action. So I think uh, people don't realize we could be seeing a knockout on the early prelims and uh, Terrence McKinney could start to be making his name. And when I interviewed him, he talked about how an interesting matchup would be him and Patty Pimblett, who also got a first round knockout. So we have all these up and comers in the lightweight division. I think we need to be able to spice up those rankings a little bit too. So I think, I think that's the sleeper. He hasn't been getting a lot of media press. So I think people don't realize we could be in for a treat. Yeah, incredible story Terrence McKinney has. Jed, I'm looking at this card right now. I had to double check because I'm, I'm looking know, obviously right? for the heavyweight fights. And the highest weight division on this card is the co-main event between Michael Chiesa and Sean Brady at 170 pounds. So normally I can predict where you're going with this. This one without some heavyweight meat slapping around, I can't. I have no idea. I have no idea where we, you're going. We didn't have middleweight chicanery going on. We got nothing. got nothing here. But – I got two. I had two in preparation, and one of them was Terrence McKinney. It was actually my second choice because Terrence McKinney is fun as hell to watch. Uh, everything Alex said is true. I will also add in that McKinney has never gone to a decision. Win or lose, he's winning on – he is winning spectacularly or losing on his shield. Uh, that dude is fun as hell to watch, and he is also very active on the Twitter machine if you care to follow him. Um, the reason that was my number two is because – for Ossiem, I don't know. I don't know that he is the dance partner that will make this fun. There's really a possibility that he just tries to like ground and sit on McKinney uh, for a while. So that could maybe be a banger, or maybe not be a banger. But you know what's gonna be a banger? It's the main card opener, and I know that main card makes you think that it's not low key. But let's be honest, this whole card is low key. Nobody cares about it. Nobody even cares about the main event if we're being, you know, if we're being real here. I've said it many times before. Just tune into MMA fighting. You don't need to watch to spend time with your families this Saturday. But if you are gonna watch one thing, I wouldn't make it the main event. I'd make it Davy Grant versus Adrian Yanez. That is uh, as we said, Casey, E. Casey Light, our steamed producer, great guy, handsome man. <laughs> Believes that Bantamweight is the best division in the sport, and this is a Bantamweight banger. Let me give you some stats here. The last three fights of each man, 
All of them have yielded performance bonuses. For David Grant, two performance of the nights with back-to-back sensational KOs, and then a fight of the night in his last one, lost to Marlon Vera, but that was a hell of a scrap if you remember it uh, from earlier this year. And for Adrian Yanez, three performance of the nights in a row inside the UFC. All uh, head kick, two other KOs. Like these are dudes who are coming for for each other's throats. They are both on heaters right now, and this is this is just going to be the definition of a banger. If you want to say it's not low key, I would argue the point. But there is no fight this weekend I would rather watch than this one right here. That is a tremendous fight. I spoke with Adrian Yanez. You could check that out on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. Uh, really it's interesting not stuff. Not a sleeper though. It's yes, very confident young man. This Adrian Yanez, very confident young man, feels like his boxing is already as good as Piotr Jan's. He said, "Pure boxing feels like he likes his chances best, against best Piotr Jan." Best boxer in the that's, UFC, according to Dustin Poirier. That's right, mm-hmm. and that's some that, that that's a great name to to have supporting that. So, uh, all right, regulation is in the books. We go to the judges' cards. The round number four goes to. The one who actually gave a low-key banger, Alex Wendling. It's two to two. Yes, tied up. Let's talk it about Giannis and Grant. That's like people want that fight more than the main event right now. You're right. Nobody's that's talking about it. No one's talking about this card. This whole card is low-key bangers. I will you not belittle you like TK did to me. He said absolute garbage. <laughs> Contesting. <laughs> he said Barbosa well, I mean, isn't a sleeper. Can you just get off this show? I was like, AK Lee, I thought we were friends, bro. You walked into the road right now and asked 5,000 people who Davey Grant or Adrian Yanez is. You're getting the goose egg. Ain't nobody know them outside of MMA Twitter as a low-key 5,000 people? 5,000. If you don't if go I to went an MMA 5,000 people. If, if you are not near an MMA gym when you conduct this experiment, I'm I'm standing by it. All right. I'm going to put that to the test. I'm going to go to freaking softball tonight, and I'm going to ask a bunch of people ask never never talk about MMA ever, and I'm going to ask, see if anyone knows who Adrian Yanez is. Please, tell me the results. Right. I'll be happy to be right. Okay, fair enough. But that means we're going to go to the knockout round, and this is going to be an interesting question because I have to bring this up. I feel I would be a terrible moderator and a terrible host and a terrible person trying to promote a combat sports championship tournament without bringing up this event. Uh, so that's what we'll do. Each competitor will have one minute to answer their question. Once that is done, we will turn on over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, probably the most powerful man in MMA media right now, Casey Lydon, who will render the final decision. So we had a random name generator put both names in before we started. The name that was chosen was Alex Wendling. So Alex, you have the champion's prerogative right now. You can decide if you want to go first or if you want to pass this on to Jed. So you could either go out to a lead or you could play some catch up. What would you like to do? I will play some catch up. Okay. Jed Mishu. I'm, I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on this. Because while the UFC, while the UFC is taking a Thanksgiving break, there is one promotion out there who is like, you know what, Thanksgiving break, we're not even, we're not going to take a Thanksgiving break. In fact, we're going to put on a mega event. We're going to do it at a stadium, and we're going to do something crazy that's never been done before. 
Triller, your good pals at Triller are putting together Triad Combat, which is going to put MMA fighters against boxers in a triangular shaped ring where they're trying to put rule sets of the two sports together for what they call like an even playing field. We got Frank Mir on the card representing MMA. We got Matt Mitrione on the card representing MMA. We got Mike Perry. We got Derek Campos. Even even Albert Tumanoff, one of the mysteries of MMA. People wondering where, where Albert Tumanoff has been. He's going to be fighting in Arlington, Texas on this Triller card against some former boxers. Uh, there's some other names on here as well, but this is a very interesting card. And by the way, Metallica is going to be performing live at this at this event. So Thanksgiving weekend, you got your plates full and you can watch this event. So Jed, in one minute or less, what is your interest in this event? And two, what are your thoughts on this event as a whole? Is there something here to this triad combat event from our friends at Triller? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. Let me uh, adjust this as we prepare to murder <laughs> this question. I'm in. Look, we talked about this on this show. I hated Triller. I hated Jake Paul, Ben Askren. And then I went to the damn thing. And it's the most fun I've had at a sporting event in years. Not just a fight in a sporting event. It was ridiculous. It was a barnyard explosion of nonsense and tomfoolery. And I was absolutely here for it. And now they are going all gas, no brakes, baby. They are taking off all the safety belts and crashing this thing into a wall. The triangle is a terrible idea. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be like four feet of viable fight sur like fight surface. Because once you get backed into the corner, you're not getting out. Frank Mir, who was at that first trailer, actually looked good as a boxer. I'm as shocked as you are that I'm saying it. But I'm in. Put Metallica on. Do all the nonsense and ridiculousness. The more crazy we can make this thing, the better. Especially because there's not anything else going on that weekend. So tune in to that one with your families because it's fun for the whole family. Wow. All right. Some salesmanship right there. And you got to believe a man wearing a suit, right? Uh, yes, you got to go to a fun Triller event. I got to go to the unfortunate collapse of one of Vander Holyfield, uh, which was sad and, uh, and awful at the same time. It was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Never wanted to, to cry at an MMA event, but I almost, or, or a, a combat sports event, but that one, I was very close. So now, Alex, we turn it over to you. Triller's going all in here. Triad combat. Any excitement for this event, your thoughts on it in general, the names that are on it, what was your reaction? Whatever you want to say about it, one minute or less, your time starts now. In my personal opinion, I'm not super interested in it. I thought Triller's main goal was to get the younger demographic involved, which is why Jake Paul's uh, boxing, it seems to get a lot of younger of the younger audience involved. So I thought it's interesting. Metallica is super cool, but I don't know who's that really is going to attract. Um, I think people are, they pick their poison with everything. People are into fight circus and bare knuckle boxing. So there's an audience for everything. Um, the triangle shape makes it really, really different. So I think that in, in general, we'll get a few people to watch it, especially considering there's not much going on that weekend, but all in all, I think it's just going to be something that has its 15 minutes, if that. I don't even think it'll be trending on Twitter. Um, I I don't think this one has as much buildup as any of the prior events. But the Jake Paul fight with Tommy Fury coming up, I think that will kind of uh, be a different celebrity boxing that pushes up the celebrity boxing 
cat uh, clout again. By the way, I will be in Tampa, Florida for that Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury event. So be prepared. Do you need be prepared. To Maybe if, only if you wear a suit. If you don't wear a suit, you ain't coming, son. You better bring like six suits. I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans. You got to rock the suit. That's your gimmick now. Life. I might go just because it'll that's be warm now. there at that time. Yes, that's right. Uh, and one thing I do want to bring up about the timing of this event and of this event in general, I actually think Triller is very smart with this event. One, because of the names they have on it. Two, because of just being unique and different. And three, this weekend in particular, you ain't going to attract young people. Want to know why? Because all the young people are going back home. They're going out drinking with their old high school buddies. This is like the biggest party weekend of the year for some of those folks. You're not going to attract them. None of those people are watching this card. You got to attract the old lazy folks like myself. We're going to sit there and pile up turkey and gravy and mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce in between two pieces of toasted bread and just crush Thanksgiving leftovers and just watch silliness. Like this is what this card is geared towards. Okay. So color me intrigued. Color me intrigued. Just want to give my take on this. But now we got to go to the most powerful man in MMA media right now. The man who's going to render the final decision. The man that is going to send one of these two tremendous competitors into the semifinals to face the winner of next week's Thanksgiving week battle between James Lynch and Kristen King as they battle it out for a third time. Casey Lydon, we turn it on over to you. Who's moving on? Who wins the battle? <clears throat> First off, Mr. Heck, I love matchups like this. I love vets. Oops, sorry. Vets versus prospects. This is like the classic matchup. I love this. But did Alex have enough to take out Jed Mashu? You know what? She did not. Your winner, Jed Meshu. Man, wow. Casey, how very Ryan Seacrest of you. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to send us to commercial break before you rendered that decision. Well done. Jed Meshu, if you wore a suit and lost, what a disappointment that would have been. But you got it done, Jed. And uh, now you know what that means. Not only do you move on to the next round to face the winner of James Lynch, who you've battled in this virtual arena before as well as Kristen, Kristen King. I don't know if you've squared off with Kristen before, maybe in a tag team tile, uh, style situation, tag but team. now you get 30 seconds to wax poetically. You can say whatever you want. You want to talk to James, you want to talk to Kristen. You want to look past him and jump ahead to who you are hoping to face in the finals. The 30 seconds is however you want to use it, my friend. I'm looking straight past him because I got nothing but respect for, for A-Dub, you know? And it, it's not her fault that she came into a buzzsaw but that's where I am right now because we know, we know for an absolute fact that Phoenix Carnavale is going to be in the final. She got the easiest road to the top. <laughs> she, all she had to do was beat Jose Youngs, a guy I have absolutely given the size nine to. I don't even know how many times. This man is not on my level. He's not on anybody's level. I don't know why he's on the show anymore. And then he, she gets AK Lee, the losingest player in the history of the show. Why not just make her in the tournament finals? You could have just done that, Mike. I am scrapping my way through young contenders, through through prospects, and I'm I'm one step closer to what I want, baby. And it's you, Carnivale. You and me, you're going down this time. That was an excellent promo right there. Alex, tremendous stuff. 
excellent job. I know it's it's very tough face, facing the winningest player of all time, but uh, what would you like to say to Jed and to the rest of the competitors? I mean, I was hoping that this was like a he's GSP, I'm Matt Sarah, but it kind of ended up just being a Sean O'Malley, Chris Moutinho scenario. But you know what? I feel like I'm getting better and better every time. This is probably the most fun I've had. So I hope to be back sometime soon and I will be following along to see who wins this because I'm only getting better, you know? I'm like, this... I'm Ian Gary. I'm like making my debut, getting, getting uh, <laughs> a few punches. I'm wearing the damage, but you know what? There's progress being made. This this was not an O'Malley Moutinho. This was a Holloway Rodriguez. Like that that's what this was. A, a solid accounting of yourself, but just I I am on another there. level right now. I'm bringing class <laughs> to the game and I'm coming for your head, Carnivale. Wow. I mean that that, that jet the kind words and the respect mm-hmm. from one Jed Mashu might be worth more than the win itself, Alex. I mean, this doesn't happen very often. You you yeah, see how he feels about Jose Youngs, and he shared many of round. Jed is yes, a winner. Jed is Jed is a winner for a reason. He picked Alex because much like when Mayweather fought Canelo, get him young, get get him when they're not ready. You know, because in a couple years, I'm telling you, this lady, she's gonna be racking up those dubs. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. We look you guys forward rock. to that. And, All right, oh, so my, and by week, the way, by the way, know who the judge is. And don't shit on Metallica in your final answer. Come on. Come on. Honestly, next time, I'm going to have to do background research for that. You see what Jed did in his final answer? He fixed his tie right away. He knew exactly who he was catering towards. So with with that, you know, you'll you'll, you'll get better and you'll learn the intricacies of one Casey line. Because you don't need to impress me because we know how this thing's all going to play out. You got to impress Casey in the final. So. Next week, I don't. It's we're clearly not doing this on Thanksgiving, so I think we're gonna maybe shoot for Tuesday next week. James Lynch versus Kristen King, the final first round matchup. The winner moves on to face Jed Mashu, and then all roads point to the undisputed BTL Championship. The final four will be wrapped up next week. So until then, everybody, for Alex, for Jed, for Casey Lydon on the ones and twos, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn. I am Mike Hack. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next week on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links. I am Mr. Lynn. Oh, yes, my voice. Thanks for watching. (laughs) Mr. Lynn, this is me. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. 
For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.